reading from um, Exodus 20, so if you want to get your Bibles out, please do. We're reading about the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Amen. Hi everyone, thanks Chris. Uh, It's really nice to be here with you this evening. Um, As uh, Rich said, I'm Laura. Uh, I am married to Owen, who is the trainee vicar here. Um, He's usually here um, this evening, but he's with our two little ones. Hopefully they're asleep by now. Um, So yeah, we're doing um, this year of biblical literacy, and so far through this series, it is written, we've been asking questions like, uh, what is the Bible? Um, How is it put together? When we say it's an authority, What do we mean? Um, And actually, on that note, I'm going to pass around um, as I carry on talking. Maybe I'll just split them and do them in two directions. These little bookmarks 
um, that we've put kind of as a, a summative um, uh, little way of you having yeah, a summary of um, some of the stuff we've covered um, in these few weeks. It might be um, something that's helpful for you to have in your Bible so that you can look at it, a little reminder. Um, obviously, there's lots more we could have said, but we didn't have um, a whole, you know journal we just had a bookmark space um, so on the back as well there's some sort of tips for how you might engage personally uh, with reading um, the bible so uh, the task uh, before us this evening um, is to kind of keep um, all of those questions that we've been doing over the last few weeks in our minds whilst we engage with a specific moment in scripture the one that uh, chris has just read for us exodus 20 the giving of the ten commandments um, and uh, i picked that one just because it happened to have been um, in the daily Bible reading uh, for today that we're doing um, as a church. Um, some of us are uh, reading the Bible each day through this program. And Exodus 20 is in that for today. And what we're going to do is we're kind of going to uh, use it um, and ask some questions about how we might uh, develop a bit of a pattern for understanding um, Scripture uh, this isn't always easy. You know, maybe it's the first time that you've, um, as you're doing this daily Bible reading, the first time that you've ever read some bits of the Old Testament, and uh, you might have lots of questions about it, as you do. And uh, some of the questions you might have about Exodus 20 might be things like, okay, so how, how does uh, the law that God gives to Israel relate to us today? You know, how do we keep the Sabbath? Okay, it specifies that we mustn't cover our neighbor's donkey, but what about our neighbor's car? And what about all those other kind of 600 plus laws that God gives to his people? How are we to understand them today? Now, some of those questions we might have about Exodus 20 are not maybe that tough. There are others that we might have um, about slavery, about genocide, about women, about sexuality, and all of this stuff we're going to cover um, as we go through this year, and then specifically on a day uh, later on in the year of biblical literacy, which we'll uh, tell you about. But this stuff of looking at a passage and thinking thoughts and feeling feelings about it is called hermeneutics. Bit of a fancy word, but essentially it just means interpreting text and interpreting scripture. Asking questions, you know, how, how does this apply? How do we understand it? What did it mean at the time? And all of this can be really good because you can read something, it can, you know, really resonate with you. You have a conversation with a friend and you're like, yeah, I love that bit. And wasn't it incredible reading that? And God did this and it was brilliant. And it's all very well and good. And then there are these moments every now and then where you're talking to someone and you realize that they have a different opinion to you. Yeah. About how to read the Bible. And it can get a bit tricky. And actually, in some moments, and maybe you've been there yourself, we can get pretty precious about our way of understanding and viewing and reading scripture. Maybe this is something that um, you've known um, at the moment, that preciousness. You know, it's happened in our house recently. Uh, yep. Uh, Owen and I, as we've been kind of chatting through and planning through all of the It Is Written stuff, uh, for the last few weeks, you know, we've had maybe different opinions about what we might say as a, an application or how we might organize the, the notes that we've done for small groups. And just to lighten the mood, sometimes I've really needed to, uh, just to lighten the mood in those moments, <laughs> um, I've affectionately termed this yobbleitis. 
year of biblical literacy, we've been calling it Yobble, referring it to it as Yobble, and I've called this Yobbleitis. You know, maybe you've had moments of Yobbleitis yourself since you've started uh, discussing this in your small group, looking through the Old Testament, talking with people. Maybe it, this um, Yobbleitis has been a feature of your past where somebody has uh, really had a kind of furious argument with you about a particular interpretation and a particular view and isn't part of the wonderful uh, plan of the church and of being a community that we need to, to learn how to do this together and to discuss and to humbly chat and to work this through when we might have different ways of looking at something and it's a journey which we're all on. But do you know what? There's a cure for yobalitis. There's a cure for it. There's a cure for those moments when it's about me and my interpretation and my understanding and the way that I see it. And actually, this is our first tool for how we understand and engage with scripture. You see, before the Bible is about me or you, our view, the lesson we might want to get out of it, the way that we might want to apply it, before the Bible is about you or about me, it's about God. You know, before the Bible is about you or about me, it's about God. What he's like, what he's done, how wonderful he is, what his character shows to us, how he reveals himself in all of his glory. Sometimes when um, I'm preparing material, I will say, uh, for, for a talk, I'll say to God, okay, God, what is it that you specifically want me to say to this group of people? You know, what do I need to tell them that they need to go and do or to change or to be like? And there was one particular moment, I can vividly remember this moment, I was walking uh, where we used to live in in Oxford and I said, okay God, you know that same prayer, what should I be telling them, what do I need to say to them? And clear as anything, I felt God say to me, Laura, just tell them about me, just tell them about me. You see, if the Bible, as we've been saying, is this unified story with many different books, but this one story about God and how he's saving his people, if the Bible is this unified story about God, then the first thing that we do when we engage with it is we look at him, what he's like. We ask questions about what a text is showing us about the nature and the character of God. And when we preach, and when we teach, and when we explore the Bible, we do so so that people's hearts are moved and stirred towards God and what he is like. You know, sometimes I think we're quite good at teaching and looking at the Bible and understanding it and engaging with it for kind of self-help, you know, to get a lesson, or maybe for political insight, or maybe for social commentary. And yes, some of those things are definitely there in Scripture, but ultimately, We're doing theology. We're looking at God, what he is like, how great he is. We take our eyes off ourselves and we look at him. That will cure yobalitis. We study our Bibles to worship our God, to praise him, to live for him, that our whole lives might be a reflection of our relationship with him. But let's face it, it's not always easy in every single passage of scripture, is it, to, uh, to see what God's like. And sometimes, it's even worse than that, sometimes we read something and actually God doesn't look that great at all. 
And so this is the second tool for how we might engage with scripture. And there's lots of ways of doing this, but here's just the suggestions for this evening. Well, we need to read the Bible normally. We need to read it normally. Okay, now what do I mean when I say that? Well, like you would a novel. Okay, if you were to turn to page uh, 50 um, in a novel, it's not going to make a lot of sense, is it? You're not going to really understand a lot about the character and the plot, unless you go back and you start at page one. Um, and you see where the story has got to and the themes that develop and the people there and the characters and what is going on. So if this is a unified story about God and how he's involved with his people and how he's saving them and what he's saving them to, then we need to make sense of an isolated moment in scripture in light of the whole of it, in light of what has come before. And when we do that, it's just called contextualizing. You know, putting something in the context of what comes uh, before it, around it, at the time. And that gives us, as we do that, as we read the Bible normally, as we read it in this direction from the front to where we're at, at that moment that we're reading it, it gives us insight, and this is especially the case with the Ten Commandments, as to how something might have been received when it was first uh, written or first given. Now, there's a potential, isn't there, for quite a lot of um, misunderstanding uh, if we take something out of context. You may have been in a conversation where this has been your experience, where something was taken out of context, and uh, we can have just a couple of... There are so many examples of how we could do this with Scripture, but here's just a couple of examples. Um, In Luke chapter 12, verse 19, we read the the line, uh, Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, if we were to just take that verse in isolation, we'd probably come to a very different conclusion about the teaching of the New Testament than actually is the case for this specific part, where if you read the whole of that chunk, someone said, never read a Bible verse, (laughs) read the whole of it. Um, If you read the whole of that chunk, you see that actually... This uh, rich man, uh, is um, he's got, sort of got all of these crops and he says, oh, well, never mind, I won't do anything about it, I'll just relax, there's the verse, eat, drink and be merry. And then actually what happens is that he dies and he hasn't made that investment and it's a, it's a lesson for us. Another example, Exodus 21, verse 24, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Um, yeah, take that tooth, tooth. I don't know whether I'm doing it right. I said this this morning when I was saying it. I just can't, because I'm Welsh, we say tooth. And I can't hear it as correct anymore. I don't know. Anyway, these things. Um, So um, if we take that just as that line, then it's almost as if God is uh, calling us and the Old Testament is teaching us to this sort of ugly retribution. Yeah? And you've heard people possibly say that to you. But actually, this was a law of limitation. Because at the time, the idea was that if somebody stole, you know, your sheep, then you were entitled to take everything that they owned. But actually, this whole you know, matching of uh, eye for an eye is a way of saying, hold on a second, let the punishment fit the crime, as it were. But we know later that obviously Jesus comes and reforms that sentence, and we'll get to uh, what Jesus says about the law later. Okay, so how do we do this whole thing of reading it normally and reading it from like this uh, way forward to the moment that we're in for Exodus 20? 
Well, if you look back a few chapters, you'll see that these laws are given to God's people who were, uh, even just as, as, you know, a few chapters back, chapter 12, in slavery. They were in slavery in Egypt, but God delivers them. And they have their first Passover meal, where the blood of the Passover lamb is put on the doorposts. And then they're moving through the Red Sea, and as they get to part of the desert on their journey to the Promised Land, they're provided for by God, miraculously, by manna. And then by water from a rock. All of this, you see, all of that story, all of that narrative happens before this moment that we've touched down on in Exodus 20. And actually, there's a reference to all of that in the text. In verse 2, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God doesn't say, hey, a random bunch of people that I don't really know at all or care about at all, just listen up, I'm God, you're not, pipe down, here's some rules or else. No. This is a relationship, not a dictatorship. God gives these rules to a people that he loves. And in reading in this direction from the chapters that have gone before to where we are now, we see that actually God's grace to his people comes before the law. God's grace in delivering them from slavery in Egypt, God's grace in providing for them, thinking New Testament now as well, with the Passover lamb, God's grace in that miraculous provision in the desert when they needed it. That comes first. God's grace comes first and then the law. So any obedience that is required of us as God's people comes as a response to his grace to us. And that's the good news that we have. And when we read in Deuteronomy 6, 24, about this uh, giving of the law, we read that it's given so that we might have life. You see, the law is life, isn't it? The law is life and freedom. And in the case of the Ten Commandments, even sort of centuries and centuries later, we can see that, can't we? That these laws, you know, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. These laws are to give us life. They're for our freedom. They are so as well that we might be distinctive and different and holy and like the God that we love and we serve. Okay, so that's all right. But what about all of those other laws? Yeah, all of the crazy ones we're going to get to as we keep plowing on through this yobble year. What about those obscure ones, like the stuff um, in Leviticus, which says, uh, maybe you don't even know some of these yet, and I'm sort of spoiling it for you, but there we go, um, that um, in Leviticus 19, you read about how you're not, you know, there's instructions, do not wear clothes where two different materials are mixed together. Don't sow two different uh, seeds in a field. Don't trim the hair on the sides of your face. And don't eat uh, any meat with the blood still in it. So are we disobeying God if we're sat here with a label on our clothes that says 90% cotton and 10% polyester, if we like our steak medium rare, and if we haven't got bushy sideburns? How do we understand this stuff? 
So it's about God. We read it normally in this direction. But thirdly, we actually need to read the Bible backwards. We need to read it in this direction too. In script writing, there's something called the Wham! episode. Script writers have their sort of usual plots that they churn out time and time again and everything's fine and they keep going with episode and episode. But every now and again, they do something really brave called the Wham! moment or the Wham! episode uh, where something happens and as a result of that moment, nothing can ever be the same again. Like um, in Harry Potter, when Cedric Diggory, the, one of the good guys, dies. I mean, when does that happen in a children's book? I don't know. I was so shocked at that. Or like when um, uh, Superman um, uh, reveals to Lois Lane um, who he is and that the whole time he's been Clark Kent. You know, these events happen, this wham moment occurs, and then we're reinterpreting everything in light of that moment, and nothing can ever be the same again. Now, we can't help but read the scriptures in the light of Christ. And we're meant to. We are meant to read the scriptures in the light of the person of Jesus Christ. We read everything, you know, day to day, and as we're teaching the Bible, and as we're exploring it through the lens of Christ. You know, he's our kind of focal lens for understanding the Bible. And to do that, we, we read backwards. We, we see the rest of the story and it, and it explains and we understand more and more what things mean. And part of that reading backwards as well is that we realize that our moment now, the 23rd of October, post death, resurrection, ascension, Pentecost, Our moment is not the same as that moment back then, when God's people were gathered in Mount Sinai about to receive the law. You know, we are not, are we, um, ancient Near Eastern Israelites who farm our cattle and engage in uh, combat with other nations around us. No, most of us are um, Gentile believers and the closest we're going to get to agricultural life today is our church fireworks party in Top Barn Farm on the 5th of November, unless we're Joanna, <laughs> who uh, lives there and works there. <laughs> um, so how are we then to understand our moment in light of that moment back then in Exodus 20? Well, we see through Jesus the lens of Christ. He is our focal lens, that one moment that happened when God himself came to earth and said the things that he did and did what he did for us. We look back through everything. We have the privilege, you see, of looking at Christ, the eternal word of God. And therefore, at one time, At this time, in the Old Testament for God's people, there were laws and regulations about ritual purity and sacrifice. So they would bring their their pigeon or their their heifer or whatever to uh, the temple as a way of atonement for their sins. (coughs) But now, says Hebrews 9, we are made clean by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ, who died once and for all, we are atoned through him. 
You know, back then, there were these laws and regulations about clean and unclean food, and you'll read all of this. It was a symbol to Israel to be distinct and set apart and different. They were, they were clean, as it were, because they were God's people. But now, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, for we are all one, says St. Paul, in Jesus Christ. So there is now no clean or unclean food. And we can read a bit of an explanation of this in in Acts chapter 10, if you want to have a look. At one time, there was circumcision, a mark on the flesh for the people of God, of their covenant relationship with God. It was a sign, it was a symbol. But now, as new covenant people, our mark, our sign of the covenant that we have with our God is baptism by water and by the Spirit. So we then look in this direction at what Christ has said, at what Christ has done, at the witness of the apostles and the whole of the New Testament, at the whole of the Gospel, in order to shed light on moments in the Old Testament that might be tricky to understand. Here's an example of a particularly tricky part. Fasten your seatbelts. This is Deuteronomy 21, verses 10 to 14. When you go to war against your enemies and the Lord your God delivers them into your hands and you, and, uh, you take captives, if you notice among the captives a beautiful woman and are attracted to her, you may take her as your wife. Bring her into your home and have her shave her head, trim her nails and put aside the clothes she was wearing when captured. After she has lived in your house and mourned her father and mother for a full month, then you may go to her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. If you are not pleased with her, let her go wherever she wishes. You must not sell her or treat her as a slave, since you have dishonored her. I'm not going to put that on my fridge or have that as my life verse. But it's in the Bible. What are we to do with it? You know, how do we understand this? We need to remember the culture of the time. We need to remember that this was oftentimes a barbaric and oftentimes a cutthroat culture. And what if we realized that actually what was the usual practice for a soldier who was victorious would just be to take everything in the land that they had captured, including any woman that he wanted, and just to rape her and then to throw her to one side. That everything was seen as possession. So therefore, when God says, no, 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 Israel, you're not like that. You're not like that culture around you. You will take that woman and she will be your wife. And she will have all of the legal rights and all of the protection and all of the provision that any other wife would have. Because I'm your God. And that's the way we roll. And what about if we realize that actually the little details which sound at first perhaps alarming about shaving her head and trimming her nails and um, putting aside the clothes she was wearing that actually some of those things would have been to shed her identity as a prisoner of war and to say, you're welcome. You're welcome into this community. Belong. Become a part of it. And what if we realize that that um, moment where it says, you know, you let her go, is an indication that this woman's freedom and her identity, and I guess essentially her, her rights, although perhaps that word isn't that helpful, were to be protected and to be honored. 
then what if we even realize that maybe that moment where it says at the end, since you have dishonored her, is God saying, do you know what? All of this practice, it's not great. It's not ideal. But I'm working with the culture at the time. I'm working with the culture. And God does that. He works, doesn't he, in his grace with where we're at? He works with where we're at. But always, and this is the wonderful news, always with the vision of bringing us forward. And it's the same here with Israel. He's working in the culture of where they're at. And he absolutely brought radical reform um, in, in the treatment of women and all sorts of other areas to that culture. But with the vision always of moving Israel and his people towards the ideal seen in Jesus Christ. So what does Jesus say as we look backwards, as we look from this direction and understand scripture? He says, you've heard it said, referring to the Ten Commandments, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, don't even look at a woman lustfully. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you've heard it said, and you've heard it said in the Ten Commandments, don't murder. Okay, yeah, tick. Well, no, says Jesus, I say to you, don't even say anything hateful. Don't be angry. You see, what happens when we look at Scripture through the lens of Christ, particularly with the law, is we see the heart of the law. We see the ideal in Christ. We see that actually the amazing thing is that the words of Jesus and the ideal of Jesus calls us to a greater holiness than all of the Old Testament and Israelite law put together. Reading it backwards, we see that we are met by God in his grace to us where we are, but always with that intention and that vision of moving us forward. I visited a few times uh, in Spain, in Madrid, a ministry called Batel that work with um, drug addicts and other substance abusers. And uh, one of the things that they do as a ministry in Batel specifically is they go to this place called Valdeming Gomez. Um, and it's this essentially a rubbish dump on the outskirts of uh, Madrid where all the, the, the police in, I guess, some way ignoring the situation in front of them and just all, all of the sort of um, addicts are, are put there um, homeless and they deal on this site and it is a rubbish dump where all the rubbish is put and there was this guy, Manuel uh, who lived um, in Madrid and he worked with Batel and he used to drive a van every day up to Valdemar Gomez and I went with him on one trip and Manuel was this amazing uh, Mexican guy who just had such an incredible smile and a full heart and this just inspirational man. And the way that he engaged with the, the men and women in Valdemar Gomez sometimes made me worry for his health and safety. You know, he would get right stuck in and he would grab their, their filthy hands and their, their um, clothes and wrap his arms around them and, and, and love them. And, you know, so, sometimes they would, they would come having um, uh, withdrawal and um, would be so unwell. And he would get right down to where they were. And he would pray for them and he would love them. And I, I saw one day Manuel take the hand 
of someone and, and, and lead them to come back with us in the van to get out of that hideous, awful place, Valdem and Gomez, to go back to a Christian community uh, for restoration um, and, and a new life. And isn't that what God does with us? You know, he meets us where we're at, but doesn't want to leave us there. He wants to deal with all of those uh, parts of us that are not bringing life to who we are, that are denying us experiencing life in all of its fullness. God wants us to change. And that's kind of the fourth tool of what happens when we understand and we read scripture. And I guess it's less a kind of instructive tool than just a declaration over us of what absolutely will happen as we read scripture, as we understand it. We will be changed. Not because we G ourselves up and and try and find a life lesson or a moral. Not because this is self-help. Not because this is social reform. But because this is about God. See, we've come back full circle to number one. Because this is about God. And as we encounter God through the pages of scripture, then we are changed. As we see the God who meets us where we're at in his grace and his mercy and his love, but cleans us up and doesn't leave us there and carries us forward and restores us and redeems us, then we are changed. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we read the word of God, as we encounter what he's like, that's what's going to happen this year. We will be changed. We will be transformed, not something we conjure up, but something that will happen as we encounter the God of Scripture, when it's not about us, but it's about him and what he is like. We'll see his faithfulness, so we will have courage. We'll see his love, and suddenly we'll forget to sin. We'll see his holiness, and we want to be like him. We'll see that he's trustworthy, and some of our fear and some of our shame will fall away. So why don't we stand? And that is uh, absolutely our prayer uh, this evening, that we would see God and encounter him for who he is, and in so doing, be changed and transformed. So God, I, I pray that as we meet you, through the pages of scripture that we might be changed, that we might be made new. It's all because of your grace, God. So we just uh, receive now your complete love and your grace to us right where we're at. And we take your hand and we, we want you to lead us forward, to move us into all that you have for us.